Well, good morning. Unlike last week, I don't have any stories to tell about Auburn and victory. Yep. <laughs> you notice what DJ's wearing in a very subtle way. I asked for songs of lament today, but we didn't get those either. So uh, for all of you Oklahoma fans, I'm on the bandwagon. Let's go. Woo, Sooners, whatever you say. We'll do that. Do you have your, uh, your trees up, Christmas trees? Got your decorations out? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving and then start decorating for Christmas. It's that time of year. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, uh, starting next week, we'll dive into uh, sort of a series for Christmas uh, called Behold the Face of Grace. It's a great time for us to kind of to delve into the season, into uh, the story of Jesus. It's a great time to invite your family and your friends to be a part of what we're doing over the next few weeks. It'll be a good time as we dive into that together. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a great time. I know this is a great time of year. It's a great time to be a part of the faith family here at Riverside. And I hope you, um, I hope you are just enjoying these days. Despite the cold and rainy weather, I'm glad we can be in here together today and to think about for a few minutes, uh, Jesus. Uh, before we dive in, can we just start with a word of prayer? Uh, let's pray. God, you are so good and your love endures forever. And today, uh, we're so grateful to you uh, for who you are. You are our Father, our perfect Father in every way. And as we carry your name forward, God, I pray that um, well, there may be no sweeter name than this name, Father. And I pray that as your sons and daughters, that we would carry your name well. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been around the last several weeks, you know that we've talked about this whole idea of carry your name and what it means to carry your name. And uh, we've talked about how you carry the name you carry and why that matters. We've talked about the name that we carry, the fact that God has a name and his name is Yahweh. It's the most used name in all of scripture, yet we seldom call God by his name. God's not a name. It's a noun. It's a title. His name is Yahweh. He is that is who he is. We've talked about where you carry the name. We've talked about lots of ideas around this, this theme, this message of, of how we carry the name we carry. And today, what I really want to talk about is maybe the sweetest name uh, that, that we can call God, and that is simply this, Father. Um, I don't know if you've seen, uh, seen this picture. Do we have it up? Are we we're rocking and rolling yet? Uh, we, we're not there yet. In a minute, you're going to see a picture of, uh, of a guy named Alastair Campbell. Uh, Mr. Campbell, I'll tell you about him while they're getting us going here. Uh, he, is, uh, he lives in New Zealand with his daughter. His daughter, Charlotte, there is six years old, and she just had her second cochlear implant uh, put in. And she needs these implants to be able to have a better sense of hearing. And uh, as a sign of support, as a sign that, uh, that he as her father was in this with her, that, that he could go through a little bit of pain, the amount of pain it would take to actually shave his head and to have this tattoo put on the back of his head. He had a tattoo of a cochlear implant uh, put onto his head, right? It's the only tattoo he's ever gotten. He didn't like tattoos. His wife didn't like tattoos. It's not a commentary on tattoos. It's just that that's his personal deal. But he got this tattoo as a sign that he is in it with her, that, that, that even though it, in her world it's hard to sometimes communicate, he wanted to communicate undisputably, unequivocally, that he loves her. And so he had this tattoo of a cochlear implant put on it and said, I love that. He gets it, right? This guy, he is, he's a good father. He understands what it is to want to identify with his daughter and what it is to, to want to be one with her in, in whatever way that he can because he loves his daughter. Um, A.W. Tozer once said, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said, what you think about when you think about God may be the most important thing about you. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. 
What you think about when you think about God may be the most important thing about you. Now, what, do you, what is it that you think about when you think about God? Um, most of you know this, for about two decades, I worked with teenagers. And one of the things that I would often do in working with students is ask them this question, like, how do you picture God? Sometimes I'd, I'd give them paper and pens or whatever they wanted, crayons and colors for fun, and draw a picture. Draw me a picture of how you picture God. And you can imagine the kinds of things, the kind of uh, pictures we would get back, the responses we would get. Some people picture God as a, a great big grandfather in the sky, you know, got a long beard, you know, happy, joyful, cheering you on from a distance, you know, loving and kind. Some, some, some students, maybe some of you, picture God as a traffic cop, right? He's, uh, he's always watching, and he's waiting to bust you as soon as you do something wrong. Like, that's, that's his M.O. He's up there, and he's just waiting to catch you red-handed. And when he does, you know, you're going to get zapped with that lightning bolt from the sky. Some people um, picture God, you know, this time of year, especially a Santa Claus, you know. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, but that's not who God is. That's not entirely. It's part of who he is. Uh, God's much more than that. I don't know how you picture God. Some people, some people can't really picture God at all. And DJ alluded to this a minute ago, but, you know, I do believe it's true that so much of how you and I picture our heavenly father is based on how we view or how we picture our earthly father. And if you've never had, um, if you've never experienced the love of a, of a good earthly father, sometimes it can be hard to have a good picture of your heavenly father. Maybe your earthly father was absent. Maybe, maybe there's some failure in his life in your eyes. Maybe, maybe it's worse. Maybe there's abuse. There's lots of things. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's no perfect father, but if you've never experienced the love of a good earthly father, then sometimes it can be really, really hard to picture the love of your heavenly father. But what you think about when you think about God, may be the most important thing about you because what you think about when you think about God really kind of defines what you think about when you think about you. Do you think about yourself as a daughter, as a son of the most high God? Is this how you think about yourself? Because if you and I can get our mind around this image of the perfect father, being your father and my father, then it redefines not just who he is, but it redefines who we are. And there's lots of stories we could go to, but probably the most famous story is a story in Luke 15 that Jesus tells about a father. And this story may be one of the most famous stories ever told. You'll hear it referred to all over. Uh, Even people that don't go to church, even people that have never read the Bible know the story of the prodigal son. And you'll hear You'll hear things, people refer to it in different ways and talk about it in different ways, but everybody knows this story. It's one of the most famous stories ever told. And we're going to read this story this morning, but before we do, I want to set up for you because sometimes I think we forget what happened or what's happening right before the story is told. And in Luke 15, uh, in the very first two verses, you read this. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. What happens at the very beginning of the story is, uh, well, I want you to see who's in the room, right? This is who's in the room. Right before Jesus tells this story, he's going to tell three stories, but before he tells this story, he's standing right in front of a group of 
tax collectors and sinners. Now he separates those two out, and most of you know why. Tax collectors were seen as worse than sinners. These were the worst of the worst, the bottom scum of the earth. These were Jewish people, men employed by Rome, working for the enemy, working for the empire. And worse than that, they're taking money from their own people to pad their own pockets. So they're becoming wealthy off the poor and the disadvantaged. They were the worst of the worst. Them, along with other notorious sinners, were gathered around Jesus. And so you've got them on one side. Then on the other side, you've got the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the religious teachers and, and, uh, and preachers and leaders. These are the spiritually elite. Now, before we even read the story, I just love, don't you love this? Don't you love who's in the room with Jesus? I mean, Jesus has a history of attracting both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> and I think that's amazing. I just think about what if, what if our church, what if our churches were able to attract the same kind of people that Jesus attracted so that we could love the same kind of people that Jesus loved, right? I mean, he, he was drawing people from both ends of the spectrum and they're all coming before him to listen to him talk and teach and tell about God. And in that setting, he begins to tell three stories. The first two are about two things that got lost. It's about a search for those things and about the rejoicing when they were found. And then Jesus comes up to this third story, and this is where he turns it up a notch. This is where he, he, he gets a little more, um, he steps on their toes just a little bit more as he tells this story. And, and you've probably read the story a thousand times. You've probably heard it told a thousand times. And what I want to do this morning is not give you the definitive, the definitive teaching on this, this text. I don't want to pretend to do that. What I'd like to do is to show you one thing that's true about the heart and the nature of God. And to do that, what I'd like to do is, is to ask you to read this story with me through a different lens. Now, I don't know if you've done this before, but you can do this with any scripture, with any lens you want. But one way to kind of learn more about the heart of God is to change the set of lenses. We all read the scripture through a set of lenses. And the lens I want you to read it through this morning is through the lens of a father. And so I want you to put your dad hat on this morning, and I want you to read the story through the, through the lens of a father and to hear the words, the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. He says this. To illustrate his point, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to, to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned 
against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring and, 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 uh, for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I have slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even, even one young, young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. And we have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now, if you're anything like me growing up, I always read this story the same way. This is the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of a son that was lost and, and then came home again. It's a story of the wayward sinner who then came back and was, was received by a loving father. And this, this is a good way to read the story. I don't want to knock it. This is a good way to understand the story. We have a lot of people in the room that that is your story. And in fact, to be honest, that's all of our stories. We were all lost. And it's only through the grace of God that we came back home. And when we did, we saw a, a God, a father who came and, and welcomed us home. Um, but that's not the whole story, is it? It's a good story. It's a story of hope for the hopeless. It's a story that, that you can never go so far that you, that you couldn't never come back home. It's a story that, that you're always welcome home in the family of God. And that is a good story, but, but that's not really even the way we believe the story. Because if we really believe that story, then our church and every church will be full of more younger brothers than we are. There's more to the story than that. Some have said the story is really about the second son, and this is where it gets interesting, right? Because there's two sons in the story. And the, old, the older son is the son who, who always did what was right. He always kept the rules. He always honored his father. And you could just tell as you read the story, the Pharisees at first were probably shocked when they hear what the younger son did. I mean, asking for your father, for your inheritance from your father early is like wishing your dad was dead. You could just hear the, the shock and awe go across the audience when that happened. And the Pharisees probably would have quickly identified then with the older brother who did everything right. But then as the story unfolds, you see that this is crazy. Did you notice that Jesus didn't finish the story? Like he kind of left it hanging. The father goes out to both sons. The younger son comes inside of the party. The older son we don't know what happens. Does he, does he come inside? Does he not? We don't know. As far as we know, the older brother never came inside to the party. And you could just see, once again, the shock and awe and the jaws dropped on the Pharisees' faces as they realized that the one son who had always done everything right, who had kept the rules, didn't get to come inside to the party. 
Jesus would seem to suggest that, that, that keeping rules could almost serve to alienate you from God. And I think there's probably some truth in that. That when you've elevated the rules above the relationship, then you've gotten things mixed up. It's never been about who obeyed God best. It's always been about who's in relationship. God is a God of relationship. He's not a rule keeper. He's a relationship builder. That's what the whole story of the gospel is. And here the Pharisees go again. Here and here we go again, trying to make the whole story about who keeps the rules. But Jesus would seem to suggest that that those rules could actually keep you from going inside to the party. But the story isn't about the younger son, and I don't really think the story is about the older son. The central figure of the story is the father. And the father is the perfect father, isn't he? I mean, he is a good, good father. When the younger son comes to him asking for his money ahead of time, even though it would be shameful, even though it's an insult, he gives him the money. And even after he leaves, the the father is pictured as standing on the front porch, on the edge of the front porch, looking every day, longing for the day that his son might return home. And sure enough, when that day comes, the father's looking, the father's waiting. And when he sees his son, you know what he does? He runs. And again, it would have been shameful for this father to, to run to his son, but he does. He picks up his robe and he takes off running and he receives his son. And then he throws a party for the son. He's a good, good father. And even then, when the older brother finds out and the, the older brother's angry, what does the father do? He goes outside to that son too. He wants everyone to come into the party. And I love this about our father. I love this about the way Jesus pictures the kingdom of heaven for us. He pictures the kingdom of heaven as this place where there is a good father and where everyone is invited to come in to the party. The kingdom of heaven, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but it's like a party. It's like a lavish party thrown by a loving father. And the loving father wants everyone to come inside to the party because he's a good, good father. So what do you think about when you think about God? Do you picture him as a loving father? Because that really is who he is. And there may be no sweeter name for our God in the name Father. It's the name that Jesus most often used to speak of God. Over and over again, Jesus refers to God as his Father. And when you, when, when you and I can get our minds around this picture of God, that he is the perfect Father, well, it changes how, how you think about yourself. But it also changes how you think about others. It changes how we think about those that are not like us they may look different than us or may think different than us. And the truth is they too are a son and they too are a daughter of God. And even though we may have a hard time loving them, he doesn't because he is their father. And when we begin to see the way the father sees, oh man, this is where it all changes. When you and I begin to see people the way our father sees people, it changes everything. Because then the story isn't about who kept God's law the best. It's about who's in relationship with the Father. And we want what he wants for everyone 
to be in relationship with our Father. And the truth is today, if there's one thing I would want for you and I as we kind of bring this series and this message to a close, it's just simply this. That above every name and above every idea and in every way you can picture and imagine God, and there is no greater name for God than Father. And that's who he is. And if you've been like the younger son and you've run so far away, you can't see your way back, your father isn't that traffic cop waiting to bust you. He's, he's the perfect father with his arms open wide, ready to receive you. And if you've been more like the older son and you've been the one that's been keeping count of wrongs and you've been the one that's checking off the list and making sure everybody's living up by the same set of rules that you've come up with, your father wants you to come into the party too because he loves you, because he's the perfect father. And that's what he's always been. And that's who he will always be. And if we could carry the name Father to our world and show them that, yeah, in this world, there are a lot of broken down dads. There's been a lot of absent fathers. There's been a lot of things that have gone wrong in this story. But there is a perfect father who loves you perfectly, who loves you unequivocally, who loves you without any preconceived ideas that loves you for who you are because he made you and he created you and you are his son and you are his daughter. I don't know how you think about yourself, but this is who, this really is who you are. You are the sons of God. Men in the room, you are the sons of God. And when, when your father looks down on you, he is proud of you and he loves you and his heart is filled with joy because of you. And he takes great delight in you. And ladies in the room, when, when your father looks down on you, what he sees, he sees his daughters. And when your father looks down on you and he sees his daughter, just like any father looks down and sees his daughter, he, his heart is filled with pride. And he loves, he loves to see your smile. And he loves to see you wake up in the morning. He loves it when you rise. He loves to hear your voice. And when he looks on you, he knows and he believes and he sees that you are beautiful. And you are wonderful. And you are exactly who he created you to be. Church, you are the sons. And you are the daughters of God. This is who you are. Let's stand. Mr. Campbell, in an effort to identify with his son, or with his daughter, had a tattoo put on the back of his head. Your father, in an effort to identify with you, put on human flesh. And he walked among us and he lived among us and he breathed among us. And then Jesus taught us what it was to know our father and what it was to see the world the way the father sees the world and what it was to believe in God as not some abstract person, but, but as someone we can be in the closest, most intimate relationship with as our father. And this morning, what I would want for you and me is to know that that is exactly who we love, and that is exactly who we serve. And that father sent his son to this earth to stretch out his arms and to die for us, to declare his love for us, so that those who get to go into the party aren't the ones who kept the rules the best, but those who get to go into the party are those who are forgiven. And you are forgiven because of the goodness 
in the faithfulness of our Father. Let's sing.